Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. We're in John chapter 2. We're going to take a look at a very familiar story that we've, we've, you've probably read before. Um, we're going to go a little bit of a deep dive and a little bit of a sideways look at it. That's how I like uh, to look at stuff in the Bible. I'm a Bible nerd. I tell you guys this time every time I get up. That's because what you see for face value in the Bible, it's truth and it's power, on the surface level is amazing. But the Bible goes so deep. There are so many levels to everything we read in God's Word. And we have to, it, it calls us to go deeper with it. And that's what I love about it. The deeper you go in God's Word, the more it proves itself to be true, the more it proves itself to be the inerrant Word of God, and the more truth you pull out of it. Two pastors can read the same story and pull two different sermons out of the same story, and they're both completely correct. They're both completely right, and they were both meant for somebody. That's what I love about it. Um, so we're going to... We're going to look into the story. Let me ask you, have you ever been seriously disappointed in your life? Okay, if they're sitting next to you, don't, don't look. It's bad form. Don't do that. <laughs> um, major disappointments in life. You probably thought of one when I said that, right? I've had a few. I've told a few stories. Here's my most recent major disappointment in my life. I went to Kohl's a few weeks ago. Don't laugh at me. This hurts. This is a hurtful story to tell. Don't laugh at my pain. <laughs> Went to Kohl's. I wear a 2X in button-down shirts. I've worn a 2X for probably 10 years. That is my size. I'm a husky boy. I shop in the husky section. It's fine. I'm okay with it. Um, I went into Kohl's. I tried on six shirts that all said 2X on the tag. Four of them, the button and the buttonhole, didn't even reach. The other two were so big that they came down to my knees. Disappointment on a level I can't express to you because through the first four shirts, I was like, how much baby weight did I gain? I wasn't even the one who was pregnant. Oh my gosh, how much sympathy weight did I gain with her as, I, as she was getting pregnant? What is happening? And then the last two, I was like, okay, we're just in bizarro world now. It's, it's, it's either doesn't, doesn't even close or could be a nightgown. Those were my two options. So I said, never mind, Coles is dead to me now. <laughs> And I ordered this, this shirt is brand new. I ordered this off Amazon. Yeah. Um, so there we go. True 2X. Thanks, Amazon. Um, but we've had our share of disappointments, right? Um, I can't tell you how many youth events I've planned or surprises I've planned for our student ministry thinking, oh, they're going to love this. This is going to go off so cool. And then just nothing because they're teenagers and emotion isn't cool. You know what I mean? Yep. Or um, I planned for months. Uh, we have a Gaga pit that we, we bought for them. It's a big 26-foot inflata inflatable octagon, right? I did everything I could to keep this thing a secret from them. I didn't say a word to any of them. I was working behind the scenes. They love playing this game when we go to camp. So I was like, I'm going to get one. This is going to be their gift for the year because this was, this was their gift for being very patient with us through all of the COVID stuff. So we, we had some money in the budget from the youth ministry. I was going to get a Gaga pit, and that was going to be our Wednesday night game for a while. And I thought I was so slick about it. I thought I was so secretive. And then one night over at the Leslie's house for a bonfire was when I was going to tell them. And I gathered everybody up, and I was like, all right, guys, I've got a little bit of a surprise I've been working on for you. And immediately one of them goes, Gaga pit, better be a Gaga pit. And they all just go, yeah, it should be a Gaga pit. And I was like, who told? <laughs> who found out early? Who figured it out? They were like, you, 
you kind of like, it was obvious. You've not been slick about this. We kind of figured that's what was happening. You've made jokes to the side to other adults while we were around. We figured it out. I was like, all right, you guys have brains and ears. I guess I forget sometimes. Um, So a little bit disappointed there. We've all had our disappointments, right? Flip to the serious side. You ever been disappointed in your walk with Christ? You ever been disappointed in God? You've ever been disappointed with where you're at in life and you got mad at him? We've been there. Let's be honest about it. And for some, and I'm not too proud to admit, for me it's been recent. Events go on in our life where we take a moment, we step back and we wonder how, how can I keep saying God is good when this has happened? When this is going on? When this person's suffering? When I'm suffering? And we have these moments of doubt, and we have these moments where, where doubt takes over, over faith. We find ourselves doubting the power of Jesus to transform our lives, either because we don't feel it or we can't see it. How many of you believe with your whole heart that Jesus can transform your whole life this morning? Just about all of us. How many of you would say you fail on a weekly basis to recognize that in how you live? That's me. That's most of us. We fail to recognize this in, in how we live, that Jesus has the ability to take everything and change it. Second um, Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. <clears throat> he doesn't say when you, when you gain Jesus, you add it to what you have. He's another facet of your existence. You tack it on. It says, when we come to Jesus, he makes us new. And the words that he uses in that are spiritual. He's saying, spiritually speaking, you are a totally new creature. You are completely different. It's spiritual evolution, if we want to say it that way. When you come to Jesus, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and transforms you, that moment of salvation, you are a completely new creation. It's evidenced differently in everyone. And it's one of the things we talked about when I last preached, that, that we all kind of move at a different speed, and we all kind of carry a different note in this, in this harmony that is the church. And so it's always going to present itself in different ways, but there's some obvious stuff. For me, in my life, it was pretty obvious. I went from somebody who was, I still am a very self-centered, rude person when I'm not having a great day, but my priorities shifted. And this was at an age when I should have been my most selfish, was when I got saved, I was 15. And there was such a change. There was such a change in my heart from what I wanted and where I wanted to be and what I wanted out of life that I didn't know I could have before until Jesus came along. And it was so evident in me, praise Jesus, it was so evident in me that my mom saw it. And about a year after I got saved, she came to the church and got saved. That's, that's what we're trying to do in youth ministry. We're, trying to, we're not just trying to, to train up the, who will be the future leaders of the church. Though they are, the, the youth are the church now. They're not the future church. They're the church now. One thing Pastor Smith always said, and I love, the, the students are not the future church. They are the church now. But we're training, up, we're training them up to be the leaders they're supposed to be. We're equipping them to the work, just like we do with our adults here on Sunday morning. But we're also trying to reach families. Trying to reach families with the gospel. That's what the whole effort of gospel to every home is going to be about. Really digging deep and taking seriously this calling that we all have to reach others with the gospel. So the solution to our lack of transformation, our lack of of seeing clearly what God can do in our everyday life and and holding on to that might be found in three little words in John chapter 2. Let's read it together. Um, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. It's, you've heard this story. Jesus turns water into wine. 
In John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. And now our words are in red, so we know Jesus is speaking. He says, What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained, contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And when the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior, he's saying the inferior wine comes out, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this first of his signs in Canaan of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, this is a story we're familiar with. This is a story we've, you've probably read over and over. This is Jesus' first public miracle that he, that he does. And it's not witnessed by everybody at the wedding. Not everybody catches on. Just a few people see what happens. But most importantly, his disciples, for the first time, see Jesus perform a miracle. It's the first of many they're going to see. Weddings in Jewish culture were a big, big deal. They're a billion, weddings are a billion-dollar industry now, right? We have... I don't know how many HGTV and Discovery Channel shows about picking a dress. Just that one act, getting the cake right, getting everything right. There was a whole show about bridezillas. <laughs> Weddings are a, a, a several billion dollar industry. And uh, studies show that 2021 will be the biggest year for weddings since, I want to, uh, they said 1974. It, it, there will be more weddings in 2021 than any other year since the 70s because of how many got postponed or canceled during COVID. And they said what's planned for 2022 is even more. They believe 2.6 million weddings will happen in America in 2022. That's a lot of weddings. I, and uh, I can attest to that. I'm performing one in uh, January. <laughs> Um, and so there's a lot of weddings happening next year. There's a lot going on. Weddings, were a weddings are a real big deal now. If it doesn't go just right, somebody loses their mind, right? You've seen that. You've seen the. There was a whole show. It's called Bridezilla's. Women losing their mind because every little detail wasn't perfect. And then they'd play it up because it's reality TV. You ever been to a we wedding where something went wrong? <laughs> you ever been to a wedding where something big went wrong? I went to a wedding. I won't say who. It's nobody in here, don't worry. But this does go out over the internet, so I won't say who. I went to a wedding. It was a couple young kids. This was before Bree and I got married. We were, we were engaged, but we hadn't gotten married yet. And uh, a, couple, a couple who was about our age at the time, maybe a little bit younger. And they decided, we're getting married. And they hadn't really planned anything out past the idea that they were getting married. And the day of the wedding comes, and we get to the church... And they said, be there two hours early. I was like, okay, we get there two hours early. We were the only ones there. It was just me and Bree. And people start showing up and filtering in, and they're like, okay, um, grab some chairs. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, we got to set up. Who's we? I was like, I'm wearing a three-piece suit. It's 98 degrees. We're doing this outside. And they're like, yeah, grab some chairs. Oh, good. <laughs> Off comes the tie and the vest and everything. And about five of us set up about 200 chairs. And then out of 200 chairs, this is probably about 200 chairs, I think. Um, there may have been 50 people. 
I was real happy about that one. <laughs> um, they hadn't thought out. Uh, the groom gets there. I said, okay, cool. You guys got a sound system to play the music when she walks down the aisle? He went, oh, no. Like, you didn't, you didn't think about a sound system to play? They're like, no. Uh, solution. I came up with the solution. It wasn't a good one because there wasn't a, they were assuming that this church would have a boom box or something that could be pulled outside as if that would be loud enough for the 50 people spread out across 200 chairs. So what we ended up doing was pulling somebody's Toyota Matrix right down next to the, to the seating area, rolling all the windows down and cranking, here comes the bride up on the sound system. <laughs> you ain't never heard, here comes the bride quite like when it's played with the bass rattle in the dashboard. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> it's, it, it got crazier from there. We got to the reception. They're like, there's food. There's food. Just go to the reception and it'll all be fine. There's food. 50 of us get there. There was one plate of meat and cheese. There was one plate of veggies and a fruit. And there was a cake about that big. I was like, this isn't food. <laughs> this, is, this is somebody's food. This is the food before the food. Where's the food? I kid you not, we ordered pizza. <laughs> they took pictures. It took a while. I was staring at this tray. I was doing calculations in my head. Luckily, I had been Baptist for a while at that point, and I knew how to do food calculation versus people in the room real quick. Uh, being a youth pastor and a Baptist really helps with that. You're like, divide it by pie, that many numbers of pizza, that many slices of pizza versus this many people. Nope, we're ordering Papa John's. And so we ordered food. And long story short, they got married. It was fine wasn't planned great, but nobody told them. We didn't want to ruin their day. It's fine. They got married, and that's all that mattered. Most interesting wedding I've ever been to. Um, and I didn't even tell you about the part where the, where the groom was dressed like a pirate. But um, it was supposed to be a Renaissance wedding. He missed Renaissance by a few centuries and really landed at Caribbean pirate. Um, and ahead of time, I'm still telling this story. I don't know why. Ahead of time, he had said, we're going to do Renaissance wear. And I, as the best, I was the best man in this wedding. As the, as the best man, I said, no, thank you. And he said, well, we're going to, I need you to dress. We're going to do Renaissance wear. I said, not if I'm going to be your best man. So I wore a suit and tie. He dressed like a pirate. I love my friend so much, but he was dressed like a pirate. Um, <clears throat> if you remember the episode of Seinfeld where he's dressed in the frilly shirt and says, but I don't want to be a pirate. Look just like that puffy pants, frilly shirt. It was amazing. But that's how that wedding went. <laughs> Jewish weddings were a big deal. Jewish weddings at the time, they, they, they were big. Everybody, it was a working ag, uh, agricultural uh, society. So there wasn't a lot of off time. There wasn't a lot of hobbies. And so celebrations and feasts were a big deal when they got to happen because it means you didn't have to work for a few days. And so everybody loved a wedding. Everybody loves a wedding now. There's a whole industry for people just crashing weddings just to get free food and meet people, right? Back then, a wedding could last anywhere between two and five days. And it could involve the entire town. And it usually did. And it was on the parents of the bride and groom to set this up. And they would come together and they would make an agreement about who was going to provide what. And typically one side would provide drink. One side would provide food. They'd split the cost down the middle however they could because this was a big to-do. And you got to feed these people. And they would enter into a covenant. They actually made a covenant about how this was going to go, who was going to provide what, how many people were going to be provided for, and how many days this was going to last. And there was this societal social pressure on this covenant. They made a covenant before God about how this wedding was going to go, how the celebration. Can you imagine these days if you had to make a covenant before God about how the reception was going to go? 
and then I show up and there's only a cheese tray for 50 people. <laughs> um, and to not fulfill your side of that covenant was very looked down upon in their culture. You would have been a social pariah if you had said, I will provide wine enough for all these people for all these days of celebration and then ran out. And that's what we find happens. And quietly, Mary tells Jesus, they're out of wine. And in verse 4, he says, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? And let me pause right there because that sounds almost derogatory. Let me be clear about the way Jesus says that. The word woman he uses is gune or gune, however you want to pronounce it. It's pronounced very different in Aramaic. It means endearing. It's, it's an endearing, respectful term for mother. Um, and so, just so we understand, he, Jesus respected his mama. Um, he, came to, he came to save more than one wedding, but he also came to honor his mother. Um, honor, he held the commandments. He, he honored his father and mother. And so, these, this comes along and these, this family runs out of wine. And then, in verse 5, she turns to the servant and says, do whatever he tells you. So Jesus has said, it's not my time. What does this have to do with me? And like a mom, ignores, she, she is Jesus' mom. She ignores his protest and says, do whatever he tells you. And I imagine she just walks off and he's just like, got to do what my mom says. He's <laughs> like, you may be perfect. You may be the son of God, but she's your mama. And we know Jesus loved his mom for many different reasons besides the fact that he is perfect and he is God and he is love. We see it evident in what he does. Here he follows his mother and what she says because it's supposed to happen and Mary, Mary's probably attuned to that because she was a faithful woman. But also at the end of Jesus' life when he's hanging on the cross, we see a moment where John and Mary are standing there and he says, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. Jesus was the oldest son. It was his job to take care of his mother. And in that moment, he knew he wouldn't be around to take care of her, so he made sure she had someone to watch over her. And he told John, you will take care of her from now on, or at least until she gets back home to, to James and, and the rest of the family. Um, and so we know, we know Jesus loved his mama. Um, but she, tells him, she, turns, she, she ignores his little protest because she knows this is going to happen. She's a faithful woman. She's in tune with this. And she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Um, and now in, in verses 6 and 7, we read, Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. We're talking six big jars, stone jars the size of a modern-day trash can. 20 to 30 gallons. I mean, like, the, think the metal trash cans that Oscar the Grouch lives in, Sesame Street, straight up. That's, that's how big they were, but they were made of stone, and then they had to be filled with water. And then he says, Fill the jars with water. Jesus told them. So they filled them, and this is the title of the sermon this morning, to the brim. And that's where we derive this entire lesson this morning is these three words. They filled them to the brim. Let me tell you something. If you handed me a stone jar the size of a trash can, asked me to fill it and bring it back to you, you'd get a half full water jar. Because that's a lot of work. That's heavy. And they've got six of them. I don't know how many servants there were, but there are six of these stone water jars. And he says, go fill them. And they filled them to the brim. That means all the way to the top. You know what to the brim means. You've had sweet tea at McDonald's. They fill it to the brim. And so they filled it all the way up, and they bring them to him. Jesus, that's the first point we have this morning, transforms what we bring him. He said, fill it up to the brim and bring it to me. And in life, he tells us he wants everything from us. 
He wants our life full to the brim, handed over so that he can change it. And what do we do? We're lazy about it or we're, we hang on to stuff about it. I don't bring Jesus everything because I don't want everything to change because I've got some stuff in my life that's not great, not good, not of Jesus. It may not even be necessarily bad, but it's in front of Jesus in line, in my line of priorities, and so I don't want it out of the way because I love it too much. I'm hanging on to it with all my heart and soul, and it's not him. And so I don't want to bring it before God because I don't want it changed. Obedience is key in receiving a complete blessing. Partial obedience is still disobedience. We see Peter, after he's denied Jesus three times and after Jesus has died and resurrected, Peter, in a moment of probably doubt, deconstruction, he goes back to what he knows. He goes back to fishing. And he's out on the boat fishing and a man who he doesn't recognize stands on the shore, and it's Jesus, and he tells him, cast your nets out, and I promise you'll catch as much as possible. <clears throat> and it says he cast his net, singular. The man says, cast, Jesus says, cast your nets. And the Bible says that, Jesus cast, or that Peter cast a net. And when he pulled it up, it was so full, he could hardly get it, into the, get it into the boat. How much more would he have had if he put both nets down? Partial obedience is still disobedience. Things may not be changing in your life because you haven't presented everything to be changed. So the question this morning that we need to ask ourselves is what am I still holding on to? It may not be anything bad, but if it's in front of Jesus in the line of your priorities, it needs to go. Or at the very least, it needs to move. What needs to change? And I could give example after example, but only you know what's really in your life that's in the way. And I would venture to say every single one of us in this room have something that has worked its way in the line in front of Jesus and our priorities. Work, school, a relationship, your social life, entertainment, um, the mind-numbing effect of just, of just scrolling endlessly on a screen so you don't have to think about things, drama, you name it. Whatever it is, stuff materialism, things, that's mine. I'm bad about it. I, I get fixated on the next thing. What's the next thing I'm going to buy? What's the next project I'm going to throw myself into? What's the next little thing I'm going to do? That's where I get stuck. And whatever, and it, it, it may be small. It may be the littlest thing in the world, but it's, it's worked its way in front of Jesus in my line of priorities. It doesn't necessarily need to go, but it needs to take several steps back. I need to give it over to God so that it changes in where my priorities are. Let me tell you, I've had a crash course in the last four months about priorities. They shifted dramatically when that little baby was born. Um, sleep is no longer a priority. Sleep used to be one of, my top, one of my top priorities in life. I've given up on that. We've hit the four-month sleep regression hard. Um, she'll fall asleep hard as you rock her in the chair, and then the moment her head hits the bottom of the bassinet, it's like somebody gave her a Red Bull. I don't know what's happening. Um, so, sleep's out. <laughs> Who needs sleep? Um, it, all, the, all, the little all the little things that I like to do, just the simple act of getting an hour to watch TV, gone. Nope. Relaxing? Pfft, get out of here. <laughs> Having a moment of quiet time to yourself? That's what the shower's for, or the ride to work. Because when you're home, it ain't happening. You all are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've lived this, and you're laughing at me because I'm discovering it new these last few months. 
Oh, man, what is alone time like? Can, can anybody tell me? I haven't had a moment to myself with my thoughts in four months. It's fine. Because it, when, you know what, the flip side of that, though, is I'm not going to complain too much. Every day I get home, that little baby looks up at me and gives me the biggest gummy smile I've ever seen. And that fuels my heart and soul for another 24 hours. Every day I come home, I get a, I get a big, sweet smile. And she, she, she's getting to the point where she's throwing her arms toward me. Best Best thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. Oh. All right, quit it. We're getting savvy. Things may not be changing in your life because you still haven't presented everything to be changed. What have you got that you're still holding on to? So, the first point, Jesus transforms what we bring him. Second point, he transforms it into more than it was before. To go from water to wine, you've got to go from H2O. We know H2O. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. And you need to add carbon, tartaric acid, malic acid, and citric acid in order to get wine. You need a process. You need extra ingredients. You need time. And Jesus did it like that. He takes what we bring him. They brought him water. And whatever it is, whatever it changes into is more than you would have ever been able to make it faster than you would have ever been able to do it in a way you didn't think about doing it and it's more it's more than the sum of its parts they brought him water if you brought me water I could make you boiling water cold water or spilled water that's all I could do with it they brought Jesus water and he, brought, he gave them wine that's the power of God to transform what we bring him and that's why we're scared to bring him what we have because we don't, we don't like the unknown we don't like the part beyond that we can't see Right? We don't like that, the, the unknown factor of where this is going. So we don't want to bring in these little, these little things that we're holding on to. Whatever it may be. Because we don't want it to change. But this is the promise. He'll change it into more. It'll be more than you ever thought it could be. It may not even be the same thing. Those of you that dated somebody before you met your spouse understand what I'm talking about. You dated somebody who you may have thought was the one. And you had all these ideas about the future, and they turned out not to be, and you ended up with the one. And it became more than you ever thought it could be. What we have to offer does not compare to what Jesus has to offer. It is an unfair trade. What we bring Jesus is worth nothing, and what he gives us back is priceless, and that's grace. That's what grace is. I've brought him my sin, my shame, and my failure, and he gives me eternal life and a relationship with him. That is the most unfair trade in the history of human existence. And he gives it freely and willingly, and that's the story of the gospel that the world needs to hear. We got a lot of stories we like to tell. We got a lot of things we like to chase after. We got a lot of things we like to shout out in conversation or on social media, but there's nothing better than you can bring all of your nothing to Jesus and he will give you everything. You can bring your failure and your sin. You can bring your pride and your shame. You can bring all of this nothing that you're able to conjure up. You can bring him this lukewarm water and he will make it into wine. I can't shout that truth enough times. I can't tell it to people enough for them to hear. 
it is, it is the job of all of us to shout that message, to present that message in how we interact with people, in how we talk to them, and how we treat them, and just by telling them, Jesus loves you very much, and because of that, so do I. Let me tell you what he did for me. That's the gospel. That's, it's that simple. It's simple. I've, I think I've said it every time I preach. The gospel's simple. It has to be, or people like me wouldn't get saved. It needed to be a simple message, because if it was in any, any way complicated, I, I don't even look at the instructions for furniture I buy. Why would I listen to a long, laid-out thing for something I'm not quite sure even exists? Because <clears throat> that's where I was before I knew Jesus. I wasn't quite sure that even in any of this was real. And then the simple idea, he died for you, because you couldn't do it for yourself. And if you bring him all the nothing that you're able to compile, he'll transform it into everything you'll ever need. And he has. And I get to be, live in that every day. And yet still, I have, I have as a, a personal testimony here, I have everything in my life I've ever seriously prayed for. I am currently in possession of everything I have honestly and seriously prayed for with the exception of a Gibson Les Paul guitar. But that's, that's beside the point. All the things I really prayed for, my family, health, a ministry, those things. I'm in possession of all of those, and still I have moments of doubt and weakness where I turn to other stuff. Because I'm dumb. And I'm, I know I'm dumb because the Bible says I'm dumb because the, Jesus and the Lord called us sheep. And sheep are dumb animals. He calls himself the shepherd because we're prone to wander. Thank God he leaves the 99 to find the one. Because I've been the one so many times. How I have not fallen off a cliff yet... And he keeps coming back for me. And he's come back for you countless times. And yet, we turn to other stuff each time. We got a short memory. A lot of times, a lot of times for me, it's, it, with, with the Lord, it's not, what have you done for me? It's, what have you done for me lately? It's the chief complaint I have about the place I work. And that's what the chief complaint most people have about the place they work. Is It's not, what have you done for us? What have you done for us lately? And I turn around and do it to my creator, my savior, my Lord. It's human nature. So we look past human nature. We bring him what we have, and he'll transform it into more. And this is the main point for the whole sermon. This is the last one. When we give our all, Jesus gives his best. We trade in quantity for quality. My quantity measures up and amounts to zero. I can take everything that I can produce for myself spiritually, pile it all up, and it's worth a zero. And then I give it to Jesus, and he gives me priceless gifts. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of blessing. Gifts of his presence, his love, his salvation, a place in heaven, a relationship with him. These are things that do not have a price. And he paid all for them so that I could have them. They're priceless beyond measure. So I bring him my meager, terrible quantity, and he gives me the greatest quality there ever was. This miracle is one of many allegories to the gospel throughout Scripture. <clears throat> Jesus takes water, a substance required for physical life to exist and thrive, and turns it into wine, a substance he would use as a symbol of his blood, which is requir required for eternal spiritual life. His first miracle points to what he's going to do for the entire world later. He's going to take all of our nothing. He's going to exchange it for his blood. And we're going to be covered for all eternity. 
We can find the gospel pictured in so many places in scripture, and sometimes we skip over the story, and sometimes it's been interpreted a lot of different ways. Like, okay, he made the party keep going, I guess. He's done so much more than that. And he's willing to do so much more than that. And it's not about the things we have. It's not about stuff. It's not about, this is not prosperity gospel. This is not a a big house and several cars and money in the bank. These are priceless things that you and I can be in possession of and probably are if we would just recognize the wealth we're in possession of spiritually. You may find that you may be, spiritually speaking, the richest person you know. And we probably are. We just live like we're not. And we're surrounded by spiritual beggars. If, you, if I gave you a billion dollars, don't get excited. I'm not going because I don't have it to give. If I gave you a billion dollars and dropped you in the middle of a country that had no, a small country, dropped you in Haiti, gave you a billion dollars and said, anyone in this room with a billion dollars dropped in the middle of Haiti would start feeding people, Right? We would start doing everything we could to help the people around us because you're never going to spend a billion dollars in your entire lifetime and because we have hearts of compassion because we know the one who created compassion. You're in possession of something more priceless than a billion dollars and you are surrounded at work and school and everywhere you go by people who are spiritually destitute. They have nothing. And you have the ability to tell them they can take their nothing and trade it in for everything. That's the gospel. That's the call on every single one of us to go and tell. Our job is not to make converts. Your job is not to convert people to Christianity. Your, peop- your, your job is simply to tell someone where they can find everything. That in Jesus Christ and him crucified, they can have everything that truly matters and be rich beyond their wildest dreams, beyond physical objects, beyond money, beyond anything this world will ever offer them. So why aren't we? As we bow our heads and close our eyes. You are richer than the richest billionaire on earth. Jeff Bezos can go to space all he wants, but you have more spiritually than he'll ever have monetarily. And you you and I are surrounded by people who are spiritually destitute. They have nothing. And it's only on us. Not to shout it down their throats or to scream about our rights over theirs or to to get mad at the world for acting like the world. It is on us to tell them, hey, you can take all that nothing that's not doing you any good. Invest it in faith in Jesus and he'll give you everything. That's our job. Why are we taking so much for granted that we've been given so much? Why wouldn't we share it? Probably because like at the beginning of the sermon we were talking about, we haven't given him everything. There's something in our life that's in the way. And so we get this, this cyclical thinking going that I can't go share Jesus until I'm, I get this stuff out of the way. That's a lie from Satan. No one needs to clean up before they can share Jesus. No one needs to be perfect before they can share Jesus. If we needed to be perfect in order to share the gospel, the gospel would never, ever be shared. The gospel is pushed forward by imperfect people, sinners who are loved by Jesus, saved by his grace. So if that's what's holding you back, maybe it's fear, maybe it's this, this weird idea about yourself that you need, to, you need to get all this sin out of the way before you can be an effective person telling other people about Jesus. And mostly what it is, and I know this is true for me, 
I let those imperfections show in the people around me. The people I work with know me quite well. And so I'm afraid they're going to see me as a hypocrite when I tell them, hey, Jesus loves you. And I'm a guy who works in a place they all know I'm a preacher. And still I'm afraid sometimes to get spiritual and tell somebody I'm praying for them or that Jesus loves them because I'm afraid they're going to hear it hypocritical in some way when it comes out of my mouth. Because they've seen me at my worst. The message of Jesus loves you is more important than any one person's individual sin. And so we need to get over ourselves because the people around us are dying. Spiritually destitute and dead. We have the ability to give them life or to show them where to find it. And that's all we're called to do. We've added so much other stuff. Love God, love others, tell people about God's love. That's our job. And what have we added to it? What have we taken away from it? What have we convinced ourselves needs to happen before we can do it so that we feel, feel better about never telling somebody about Jesus? We've all justified it in our heads. We've justified why we're not sharing the gospel. Why we're, we're not getting things out of the way so that we can be closer to God. Why we're not devoting more of our time to his word and to reaching out to people around us. If hypocrites didn't serve the Lord, then the kingdom would never move. There's a room full, a church full, a nation full of people saved by grace, and every single one of us has got some hypocrisy in us somewhere. So what? Repent, ask for forgiveness, and keep going. Because the people around you need it so much. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we've had to look into your word. Thank you for your love. I pray that you would help us now. Just as we take a moment, a moment of silent prayer to reflect on where we're at with all this stuff. Are, are we letting something get in the way? Have we held something back from letting you transform it? And have we, have we held back your love from the people around us because we're afraid of how they might see us if we tell them that you love them? Lord, bring to the forefront of our mind right now for each one of us, whatever it is that's keeping us from being a gospel-minded person who would share Christ with people around us. Let that be evident in all of our minds right now, and let us take a moment to do business with you over it. In Jesus' name, take a few minutes of silent prayer right where you're at. Thank you for listening today. At Grace Way, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.